What, in addition to the right equipment, does it take for the job of film editing? Welcome to The Cutting Room, the official podcast of AOTG.com. I'm your host, Gordon Burkell, and this week we have Rollo Wenlock. Now, Rollo is the CEO of Whipster, and Whipster is a review and approval system for the post-production industry. And they're actually releasing a Premiere Pro plugin that allows us to do a lot of really cool stuff. And so we talked about this. We actually did the interview a while ago, and we ended up talking about this because I got early access to it. So we had to put the posting of this podcast off because we didn't want to reveal that this was coming out. So I've been given permission to actually talk about it now. So that's one of the things we're going to tackle is this new plugin, how Rolo got started. He actually worked in film and in post-production and music videos in New Zealand and in England. And we're going to chat about that. And if you're interested in Whipster, we actually, because we got this early access to the Premiere Pro plugin, we actually did a review for it. So we did a review for Whipster and for the Premiere Pro plugin. And we're going to be posting that next week. So make sure to keep an eye on AOTG.com to check that out. With all that said, having played with the Premiere Pro plugin, it's pretty cool. So check it out. You can go to whipster.io to see all the cool things that they do. In the meantime, enjoy my interview with Rollo Wenlock. You originally started in film, so can you tell me about how you got into film and, and what you did? So I think there's a world of film and then there's the world of video. And film almost has a little bit of a, you know, it's entertainment, it's long form, it's the craft, it's being on set. And I was much more the video guy. In fact, my, my earliest company that I started was called Video Boy. And it was, it was just me who made videos and it was kind of like my freelance website. And, and I, I just started out as uh, like a motion graphics artist doing all sorts of moving stuff. I'm really interested in when, when After Effects came out with 3, 3D, so you could do 2.5D, that whole strange movement. And um, really, I came out of high school, tried to get into art school, failed because my marks weren't good enough, and ended up working at regional TV, which was actually a fantastic experience. Because if you're in a smallish town, and we were in Christchurch, which is, you know, half a million people or so, when you have a regional channel, when you're young, you get to do everything because they don't really care that much. So I was directing the, the live news, you know, with those big headphones on and saying cut to camera two. And uh, when I was 18, right, it was fun. And um, making one hour long documentaries about a winery over the road, you know, which is essentially like paid for advertising, doing little jingles, doing stings, doing graphics for shows, and just basically trying everything. And that was my, that was my intro to the world of video and the, the world of making things that move that can then um, entertain people or make them laugh or make them cry. And that was, that was just a really great start. And then from there, I went through a little private design school and then went through post-production school, uh, then started to go and work in the industry in visual effects and post-production. But that didn't last very long because you know, I'm, not, I'm not very good as an employee. So I got fired pretty fast, but not being very helpful. And then I went freelance and just started to direct TV commercials, music videos, went to go and live from New Zealand. I went to go and live in London um, when I was 24 and uh, ended up directing a music video for The Prodigy and doing music videos for other bands and just having a fun time. And then started to move towards um, film and started to write and direct short films and started to move in that direction. And then I started this company, which is software that solves the problem of all those video makers. And so what kind of music videos did you work on? when you were doing music videos? They were always motion graphics based to start with. So the one that I did for The Prodigy was for a track called Girls. And it was kind of a video of its time. It was lo-fi VHS video that we'd film on a green screen 
or we'd shoot it on an, on, on an HD cam and then film it back off a TV screen to get that lo-fi look. And then we'd go and do visual effects on bad footage as a style choice. And so you <laughs> you end up with these really bad keys. You end up with these like stop frame animation that obviously suck, like shot in a spare room. But the way you comp it together and you create these scenes and you create these 3D worlds is that it kind of feels convincing that it's quite high production value, but all of the elements in the shot suck. So, so it creates this really weird feeling. And um, it kind of felt cool, you know, when I was 24 or something, to do all that, all, all that, all that stuff. And then as my career progressed in, Lo in London, I moved more towards live action videos. So shooting at Shepperton Studios and doing all those sorts of, you know, outdoor shoots, studio shoots. Um, and then and then eventually going straight towards just doing basically short films for bands um, as I moved away from doing MoGraph and all that stuff. So you, you said then you sort of started Whipster. So what was, where in that world did you sort of, what tipped you off, I guess, to create Whipster? What was it that you were like, this is, something's got to, <laughs> something's got to be done. Something's got to change. Well, I mean, it's that weird thing where you're, you're having a problem that you're not aware of. And so at the time, I had a production company with my brother, which started a couple of years earlier, and we had all these clients. And oftentimes, these clients would be in a different city, and we'd be sharing a work-in-progress edit, like, you know, edit one or two or three. We'd be sharing it with them on Dropbox or on Vimeo behind a password. And then the conversation would have to happen via email, and it was all over the place. And sometimes somebody didn't know that someone else had already said something. Just very basic stuff where you go, it's really not that clever to collaborate and try and really craft things together via email when filmmaking and video making is a visual format. Kind of a cheesy story, but I was looking out the window as the sun was coming up, and in my house, the windows are always dirty because we kind of live up high and it's hard to clean them. And as the sun came up, it hit the dust on the windows, and I was suddenly aware of the dust in front of the view, which suddenly clicked for me, going, we just need to make video making, all the communication collaboration around a video needs to happen on top of the video. And that's really the catalyst for going, oh my God, this could be a solution to that problem. And I can't find this product anywhere. I just went and searched everywhere and I couldn't find anybody who'd done it really well or elegantly. And I thought, wow, this might just be an opportunity to make something cool that is really useful to this huge community of filmmakers that I know and then everyone that I don't know. And I just thought, let's just try it. Let's just see if there's a gap in the market, let's just try as hard as we can, as fast as we can to basically prove that it won't work, you know, by doing everything to make sure that it does work. And that sort of mentality, that thinking of going, we're going to make sure that this is not a business, makes you be very harsh about information. So when you get feedback, you take it very straight. You know, if somebody says, really, I don't see any value in this, this doesn't speed me up. Then you take that compared to saying, ah, but I think you would like it, you know, when, when you kind of start to self-decept and all that. So it was really just going, I just think we should try it. And I've kind of been interested in technology the whole time. I've always been interested in things like electric cars and all those other things, but had turned into a filmmaker. But I think un underneath it all, I was essentially an entrepreneur because I'd always started my own businesses and run the production companies and all those things. And then we just started to build a product. I got co-founders, I got Nick, I got James, I got Matt. And then um, we went through an accelerator, raised money. Hired more people, iterated the product. You know, the product was terrible at the start, but people paid for it. We built the first thing in just a few weeks, put it out there, and people started to pay to use it. And they started to use it on their commercial work. And we we're like, wow, this is, there's actually a gap here. And then on we go. You mentioned the starter project, or sorry, it was... Oh, we went through an accelerator. Accelerator, that's it, sorry. And I noticed when I was doing research on the company that you guys had taken part in a lot of startup events and startup accelerate, not 
a lot of accelerators, but you went to Tel Aviv, the Lightning Lab, and various things like that. So how did you work with those opportunities to help build the company? Because it's grown quite big, quite quickly. The thing with those types of agencies, or I suppose you'd call them, is that when you're a very early stage and you've never done this before, so you know, I'd, I'd never, never started a a technology company before, I'd only ever done services companies, and they they act very differently. You really want to get into the world of all the people that are doing it as quickly as possible. And so joining an accelerator, you know, you, you join the accelerator, they give you, you know, like 18 grand or something, like a small amount of money. They take quite a big chunk of the company, but they introduce you to everyone that you need to know in the environment that you want to work in over a three-month period, and they help you hone the pitch, which is essentially honing how you think about your business. And it's less thinking about the product, more thinking about the actual business of how you're going to make this thing work. And then at the end of it, you're, you're invited to pitch in front of two or 300 investors. And then that's just up to you as the entrepreneur to make those relationships work. And that's where you start to raise a proper amount of money, but you, you can start to really experiment with this. And so the real value of going through the Lightning Lab, which is the only accelerator that we've been through, is connections and exposure and focus because you can focus full time for three months on just doing that versus trying to make money, do it at night, do it in week weekends where it's very hard to focus and just and actually take yourself seriously and do it. And then these other events, like I went to an, an event in Tel Aviv, which I was invited to, which is essentially just a, like, like a whole group of, I think it was 16 entrepreneurs, 16 companies, all at the early stage. And you all just hang out and then get dragged around Tel Aviv and elsewhere to go and see all their accelerators and go and see all their startups and see what the environment is, is like there. And those events are really just to mesh you in with other people and see who you like. So I met some cool people. I met, I met a guy from a company called Veed.me and they're a video making company which you know, has software so people can hire people all over the world to work together. And, you know, we talked about what we can do together. So it was pretty cool for, for connections. But those things are really about just getting exposure to other people. They don't really push you forward other than just giving you an experience. One of the things I also noticed is that the design of your interface is very intuitive and simple to get or simple to grasp really quickly. So what was your approach to designing Whipster's interface? And how did you, you know, work with your customers to get it to this point where it's Nice and easy to use, but it's powerful. The thing there is that our head of design and my co-founder, James Findlater, is the big proponent as to why the product is very simple. We've always had this mantra together, which is simplicity is the only way to go. Do more with less. And that really ties straight into this world of software where people will add features to please people because they say, look, I'll buy your product if you add this feature, add this feature, da, da, da. And you end up with all these features which don't work harmoniously. And so every time you think about adding a feature, you have to redesign the entire product. That's how you should do it. But what people generally do is that they just add this thing on. So it's ima imagine if you had a nice three-bedroom house. And then instead of holistically designing the in interior flow space when you added another room, you just were like, well, I've got some space in the garden. I'll build a room here without even thinking about what it's going to do to the rest of the house. And then you add eight or nine rooms. And then you end up with this <laughs> the Franken house. Yeah. And you're like, well, what is this house anymore? I don't even know. You know, and I've seen houses like that and they're horrendous. And that's why I have software. And so we've always had this mantra of simplicity. And really the reason why is A, because good software is simple. It should be super intuitive. But B is that all these video producers that we want to help, all these video makers, videographers, creatives, we've built a product which is a communication and productivity app. At its core, it's actually a client management app because you as a video maker, you're communicating with your client 
on our platform. And the video maker can be technical. They, they could know all these weird things about codecs and blah, blah, blahs and time codes. And the client almost never does. And so we needed to make sure that the hurdle of entry for their clients was incredibly low. So that we've got it to the point now where a video maker can upload and edit, can be version one to 10, whatever. And when they invite the client, they do it all inside our product, it sends out an email, the client just clicks a link in the email and it opens the video, it already knows who they are, they've got their little face down the side of the video and they click anywhere on the video instantly and start making comments or replying to people and it saves it automatically and they didn't log in or anything. And then they close the window and their work is done until there's a notification to say there's been a reply, there's more conversation. And that is what we keep hearing over and over again from our clients, which is the magic experience, is that their customers, their clients are coming straight into this brand new experience, understanding it instantly and using it and getting value. You know, their first comment isn't testing dot, dot, dot to see what this thing is. Their first comment is a reasonable part of their review process, you know, this, this shot feels too long, or can we use brand font, please? Yeah, blah, blah, blah. And so they instantly get it. And that to us is success, is that we've put these two people together who think differently, act differently, understand technology differently. We've given them a piece of software which just gives them the exact experience they need, which is communicating together on the video, and they both understand it instantly. And that, to us, is why it's so simple. But in the inverse, what you get is also what Apple had when they first released the iPhone, is that some business people said, we're not going to use the, the Apple iPhone because it feels too childish. It's too, it's too simple. It's not a serious phone. I'm going to use my BlackBerry to do business. I'll use my iPhone to play around on Twitter. And you just go, wow, it's simply perception. It's that it feels so playful that you don't think there's something serious going on underneath. So in the early days, we did get some people saying, you know, product looks fun. It's almost too playful. It makes me not look serious to my clients and it feels like a toy. And then we say, sure. Okay, great. Now. Can you do a test for us? Can you send an edit to your client via email and try and do the whole thing via email and then send to another client a video via the service and see what happens? And nine times out of 10, they would come back and say, yep, conversation started instantly. There was no problem. In fact, they are now praising me for using this product, <laughs> not the other way around because they thought they were going to be made fun of for using this product because it felt so boyish, you know? And so I think that is really... What you see in the world of software is that's where it's all going. You know, if you see apps like Trello or Slack or Asana or any, any of these things, they feel almost playfully simple and they let you do emojis and GIFs and GIFs and all those things. And it's actually just how people want to be. You know, business is not as serious as everyone thinks it is. It's just people conglomerating around an idea to try and create value and make a margin. And people just want to have a good time. Well, speaking of that, I was going to say, uh, talking to all your employees, they all seem to be very happy. <laughs> so <laughs> I was wondering how you, I guess, fostered uh, such an environment that allows them to be creative, but also get their work done. I think, I mean, I wouldn't say I'm like 100% good at any of this at this point. I'm still very much learning how to work with a group group of people and how to, you know, get, get people inspired and everything. But a couple of key rules that I've always had is give people ownership of what they're doing and they will bring more to the table. And it's really, it's really that they will bring more to the table for themselves is that they will, they will, you know, if you give them a bigger jumper, they'll stretch out into the jumper. If you give them a tight little jumper, they'll be uncomfortable and too, and too hot. And I, I think that's with trying to get a team in alignment and going down the same road towards a goal is separate from optimizing each person. So 
having a vision, having a goal for what you're aiming for, having all those things is super important from the top level in the company all, all the way down. And I've at times not, not been great at that, you know, sometimes not completely focused on just one thing and, and changing ideas and stuff. And that's never helpful. So as some feedback to other people, try and keep the vision clear with people. It's really, if you give people ownership, if you look like you're having fun because you actually are having fun and that you work not as I go to work and then I come home and I am at home, if you view it as just a part of your life, because I come from a background of making films and videos and doing those things is not that I go and make a video, then I come home and I'm at home. It's just a part of your life. And so that's just what I've done my whole life is that making anything is just a part of your life. And so everyone has that feeling. And then you discover that you start to hire people that have the same values because that's how it works. You know, we've, we've, we had some early hiring issues where we'd hire people for their skill set, not for their personality or views on the world. That didn't work because it's not that you all have to be the same. You don't have to look the same and like the same films, but you have to have the same values. Like, you, you know, you value autonomy, you value creativity, you value humor, all these things. And then you start to see that, that all these people, because a company is just a group of people in one spot trying to go in the same direction. And once you can get everyone on, on the same page, then it becomes fairly straightforward. But on the inverse is that as you grow as a company, you can't always be that early stage where everyone's just completely autonomous and you have a meeting once a month and people say, yeah, I did this thing, didn't, didn't, didn't do that thing. You do need to start to put structure in, which is what we're going through at the moment. And then it just makes everything more streamlined because people know edges and boundaries. Um, can you tell us about the Premiere Pro app that you guys are developing that and what was the sort of thought behind the development of that? Yeah, well, it's part of a bigger vision that we have, which is we'd like to standardize very boring things for video makers. We'd like to standardize what the encode is for a review video, standardize what it is for a final delivery so that no one has to think about it anymore. And they just go, I click the button and it's done and it's delivered. And so that takes us all the way to Adobe Premiere, where we've built a plugin called a panel which sits right inside the product when you open Premiere, it logs you straight into your Whipster app. And, and in there, you have access to every project that you're working on in the cloud, and it ties it directly to the timeline in the edit suite. So when you're doing an edit and you want, you want to sh share it out with the team or clients, you just click one button, it encodes it at a review level, and then uploads it, and then you invite the people you want to invite, write a little note, hit send, all from inside Premiere. And then that goes out, comments start happening, and then while you're having a cup of tea, it says there are new comments to sync with your timeline. You click the button, all the comments come into the timeline, and you can just start to see what's happening. And the thing there is that it's taking out many steps, many technical thought processes that, that you have to go through as a video maker, and allowing you just to think about creating the work, sharing the work, hearing the feedback, reacting to feedback, commenting with them, you know, having a conversation and then working on the work again. Never having to think about what codec, where do I save it, how big is it, where do I upload it, where's the link, who should I email it to, all of that stuff is gone. And then the thing that we've, that we've done is that we've also done this partnership which we launched last week with Vimeo, so an exclusive partnership where we are the review product connected to Vimeo. You can link the accounts as 20% off if you do that, it's only $12 a month per user. And on that side of it is that we've, we've essentially closed the loop so you never have to think about rendering or encoding or saving videos ever again. Straight from Premiere, you can upload and share, you know, edit after edit until you get it right. Then you upload a final version. It gets approved by your client in the cloud. And what we've done is in the background, we've created the exact format that Vimeo needs. And when you click publish to Vimeo inside our product, it sends that high res 
publishable file straight to Vimeo. It uploads it. They don't have to re-encode it or anything because it's the exact file that they want, and it's available instantly. And so you've never had to do anything. It's just click a button, they approve, click a button, it's published, and the video is done. So that's what we're trying to create is the super simple experience where you never think about the technology, you just think about the creativity. Well, it's almost like Kodak's original slogan, which is, you push the button, we'll do the rest. You know. <laughs> yeah, exactly. In fact, I'm going to steal that off them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, they're, they're going bankrupt. You might be able to buy them. <laughs> buy it from I, them. I, great. I'll buy Kodak on the cheap. <laughs> yeah. Fantastic. Now, I have one last question that I like to ask everyone I interview, and that's, What's your favorite guilty pleasure film to watch? Oh, this is a good, a good one. So my, my, I mean, you hadn't even prepped me and I already know what it is. It's Four Weddings and a Funeral. What is it about that film? It's the feeling. I just really like English films where it's, um, you know, people in London having a, you know, a really, a really just, just showing the life of people. And it's comedy, it's sad, it's depressing. And you just go, ah, oh, it's just captured what it is to be a human. Just a group of people just bumbling along through through life and, you know, in a couple of decades they'll all be dead. But it just captured that comedy and sweet sadness of being alive. And I just think it's done a really, a really good job of doing that. As a filmmaker, I'm always, I'm always trying to find films that I relate to in terms of going, if I put a whole lot of films together in a blender, and then poured that out in, into a glass. What is that film? Because that's the film that I'd like to make. And that's one of the films I'd put in the blender. Um, I mean, this is a very strange film that I put in there as well, but that's why you end up with a personal vision. You know, I, I wouldn't just remake Four Weddings and a Funeral. I'd do Five Weddings and Two Funerals. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> the sequel. The sequel, of course, right? Well, thank you so much for letting me interview. Cool. Well, th- thank you. I've had a, re- a really good time. So that was my interview with Rolo. Again, check out Whipster at whipster.io. Of course, you can also check out their Premiere Pro plugin. You can go to download the extension for Adobe. I also want to say you've probably heard about it in the interview, but they also have the Vimeo tool inside the web system that they've created. So you can actually upload straight to Vimeo. Pretty cool. Again, I'm going to have that review of everything next week. And if you have any questions or you want to check anything out, give me a shout. You can get me at info at AOTG.com. Or of course, you can get me on Twitter at AOTG Network or on Facebook, facebook.com slash AOTG Network. I'd like to thank Rolo for allowing me to interview him. Of course, I want to thank Andre and everyone over at Whipster for organizing this. I'm Gordon Raquel. Thanks for listening. <laughs>